Listen In Podcast. We are back, episode 71, Jake, 71. Mm. I was thinking maybe instead of doing ages in the slow march towards death, maybe we start talking about this in the context of years. Yeah, and so 71 is like really 1971. We throw a fun fact out there about 1971. Here's mine. Vietnam was still going on. That's right. That falls right smack in the middle of that, that span of years. That's right. Vietnam. I'm trying to think of a 71 album. 71's a weird, like, nothing year. Because the one my go-to would be, like, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Did, did When did Led Zeppelin 3 come out? Was it 72? I th- Hold on. I'm looking up 1971 albums on Google. Oh, Sticky Fingers. Who's next? Led Zeppelin 4. 4 came out in 71? That's what this says. Let's see. Oh, my God. Hold on. Wow. little Google search here. Let's see what that yields. November 8th, 1971. Wow. Hunky Dory. What's going on? Tapestry by Carol King. Electric Warrior by T-Rex. Wow. Okay, so a lot. Yeah, there's a, a riot going on by Sly and the Family Stone. Okay. You know what? That's what we're going to do from now on. On our new episodes, we're going to pick a year, and we're going to say uh, some important albums that came out that year. I like it. I like that, it. That's good. Okay. Or any sports championships. That's right. Any so big I'm, ones. I'm excited yeah. for 81 because that's the Celtics' first championship since the 60s. That's right. That's or, no, actually, they had a couple in the 70s. So, some Dave Cowan's championships. Yeah, true, true. So, we talk music on this podcast. Clearly. not. Um, and we're diving in with a segment, Hot Thoughts, discussing new music here. Um, not a ton. No, week. no. Well, it depends on who you are. It depends on who you are and who you like. So, the big releases that came out this past week were Feist, with her first album since, I think, 2011. Yeah, what was it called again? Metals. Metals. You had Sylvan Esso, who came out with their follow-up to whatever their last album was called. I think that was just called Sylvan Esso. Was it? I think it was Coffee on it, right? Yeah. And Hey Mommy. Yeah. Good songs. And then you had Gorillaz, who came out with their follow-up to... Humans. Yeah. With a Z. Yeah. Humans. Follow-up to Plastic Beach. That's right. So, here's the thing. I didn't love... Okay. I I didn't listen to Gorillaz. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. We talked about this last week. I think it was my trust tree, how I said I just don't really care about yep. the gorillas. I was planning to force myself to listen to this because I thought everyone was going to be listening. Everyone was going to be loving it. Which, as we know, is the best way to make yourself like an album. Exactly. is forcing something. you got to force it. So I opened Like up, homework. That's right. That's right. So I opened up Spotify. I looked. It's like a billion tracks long. It's like over an hour. I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, no, no, I'm not forcing it. I don't care. This isn't the place to dive in anyways. It's not getting the best reviews. So I was like, fuck it. I'm not I'm not listening to it. I didn't listen to Gorillaz, so. I didn't either. So we don't have a whole lot to talk about. No. I did, however, listen to their previous album, which on the last episode I said I bought, which is Plastic Beach. Mm. I bought that back when it came out um, in 2010. In fact, that might actually not even be their last album now that I think about it. I think it was. Okay. But, but I think it was 2000. 11 or 12. I thought it was right at the end or of high 13. school. Which was 2010. Either way, Weird. give that a Google search really yeah. quick. But um, this call comes down to preparedness. We're not coming across as like knowledgeable music people. We're like, uh, gorillas? I don't know. Well, but here's the thing. Came out in 2010. You're right. So I enjoyed Plastic Beach. And I think that if you want to jump in with any gorillas, here's a fun fact. That's the only album on Pitchfork that's gotten best new music for them. Yeah. True. Isn't that weird? True. Also, the song's uh, Stylo. Rhinestone Eyes and On, Melan- on Melancholy Hill are really, they're good. They're worth mm-hmm. listening to. And mm-hmm. I think you've probably heard them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Some, yeah, my plans with Gorillaz with the new album is I think I'll probably listen eventually, but I didn't prioritize it. Mm. Um, and 
I guess that's not a good sign for the album because no. I just was not that excited yeah, to give it a listen. I, I can't say I was that excited about any of these. I like Feist, don't get me wrong. I, here's the thing. I think you're lower on Sylvanesso than I am. I listened again today, This, I, for, honestly, only the second time. Um, I'm kind of liking it. Uh, oh, I, I, I like that album too. I yeah. think it's pretty good. I think it does that Sylvanesso thing though where there's like four really strong tracks on it and then the rest is... Good. It's passable, like electro pop, which is fine, but it's not going to be the most compelling. So I feel like to me, this one is listen a few more times, get a sense of what's what, pick out the songs that are my favorite. I, I'm and still go from there. I feel like I'm still sussing out exactly what they're doing on the album because they're like the song Radio. What's this? What's uh, the other one? Die Young or whatever. Yeah, Die Young. Like good. there are some like kind of bangers or ones that are immediate mm-hmm. jump out tracks. There are some others where I think they're doing some interesting things where there's a lot more space in the music, it sounds like, where there's like less constant noise. There's like acoustic guitars and stuff. Yeah, and actually that reminds me of when I listened to the Song Exploder episode, big shout to Rishikesh Yearway, mm. the podcast host. They were on that show and they were breaking down, I think, Coffee or one of their songs, and he was saying that he likes to use, he's the producer, the guy, there's two members of Sylvan S.O.? He must be S.O. Okay. And he was... Um, Breaking down like the different sounds he uses, I guess he really likes analog or real, like not synth sounds. Mm. So he'll use some synths, but he also likes to find recorded instruments mm. that he can sample. Interesting. So, and you hear some of that on there. I think I heard like a wood block. But yeah. what I was going to say is that there's like, I think it might be the second track. There was a song that was had a lot of sort of silence or just spaces that were quieter. Which yeah. I feel like when I think synth pop, I think of like a constant barrage right, right. of synths and high vocals and so I don't know I mean I can't tell if I love it yet but I feel like they're doing something interesting with it yeah of the of the big quote unquote big albums that came out this week that one's probably the most enjoyable or easiest to listen to Feist is good I I like this new album I, I like the Feist album I did like Metals before I think my thing with Feist is it's a like not love situation with her I like some songs, I like certain songs with her. It's never going to be one where I'm like way, way in on it. Like there's a couple good ones on here. And the album name is Pleasure, by the way. Um, I really like Any Party. I like Century. That is Jarvis Cocker on it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, this album feels more like vibe to me than than so- strong songs. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I think that... So I, I'll be honest. I don't have a ton of background with Feist. Um, I didn't listen to Metals. The only thing I knew before this really was that song One, Two, Three, Four. Mm. And that was a big hit because of that Apple commercial right. or the iPod commercial that was on in probably 2007. And fair or not, uh, I've always seen Feist as the One, Two, Three, Four mm. person. And I know that's not, it, it, it isn't fair. Because from listening to Pleasure a couple times, I can tell she has moved on to do some pretty interesting stuff. And these are pretty interesting songs. Like some of the stuff she's doing with like, it's kind of sparsely produced. It seems like there yes. are songs where it's just like kind of her and a guitar, yes. and you can like hear the feedback from the microphone yeah. like coming through. It's really cool. So metals was that happened to me with metals. Where I was like, ooh, this is gonna be like this poppy kind of thing. It ended up being kind of like a, a darker, bluesier rock record almost. And yeah. that, some of that's happening here too. It's like a mixture of like kind of blues and soul and with, with some pop thrown in and some rock. But that kind of happened to me with metals where I was like, oh, 
Feist isn't what I thought she was. And I do like it. It's just, it's not my favorite in terms of full albums. When you said she was she wasn't what I thought she was, I pic- pictured Dennis Green, coach of the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> Feist was not what I thought she was. And I let her off the hook. The thing is, um, I feel the makings of a grower with this album for me. Yeah. Because like Sylvanesso, I've only listened to this twice, but both times I've had this feeling of like there's something here that yes. I, I like as Especially with Feist, there's some element of the album, some general vibe that I like. And it's actually, it goes to what you said, where you're like, it's kind of a vibe album. I feel like it, it might not be, there's there's not much pop sensibility. And right. not many of the songs are like these great standout tracks that are going to be radio hits or like even very popular. Right. There does seem to be something, like you said, there's like kind of a grittiness, a bluesiness. Mm. There's even like a really, really distorted guitar at the end of one of these songs. Yeah. What song is that? It sounds like a metal guitar. But it is. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's super heavy. Yeah. There's something about this that I think I'm going to end up liking, and I think it will take a few more listens. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And, and actually on metals, there's a song called How Come You Never Go There that I think you would really, really like. It definitely kind of has that like bluesy like groove to it, okay. which is really cool. So. Definitely check that out. I, I think this new album is definitely worth listening to. This and Sylvanesso worth listening to. Um, so that's Hot Thoughts. Not a ton to talk about. I think we'll have a lot to talk about next week, though. I think this Friday we're getting a lot of big album releases, okay. actually. So, yes, we will have more to talk about Hot Thoughts-wise. But the main discussion that we wanted to do this week was actually around Paste Magazine's 100 Best Indie Folk Records of All Time. So this actually landed on a pretty good week in terms of things to discuss. So it's interesting that they pick indie folk as this list to just do out of the blue. Um, I guess it's kind of like Pitchfork doing their Britpop list or their ambient electronic list or their they did a shoegaze list too. I think maybe Pace is getting in on that SEO juiced juice and doing the 100 best indie folk records of all time. So to you, I want to open the conversation up and say, what does this genre term even mean? Because this is so wide-ranging. Yeah, it's kind of like the old discussion of how do you even define rock. Yeah. I mean, because if you, if you really open the doors for indie folk, you can... There are some parameters. There are some guardrails. Like, I think you can pretty safely rule out Metallica. You can <laughs> safely rule out, like, a, any heavy rock band with a lot of distortion. Past that... There are a lot of rock bands that do stuff that could be considered like indie, like folk. Yeah. I think so. The, the the big, I think, discriminating factor is the indie thing. Mm. Although, as we've seen before, defining what is indie rock has become more amorphous with time too, because people on major labels are called indie. Indie, indie is a genre label more than that's it is. Ex- that's a great place to start. Is indie? Indie really should mean independent label. I don't subscribe to that point of view because no. I've never really focused on labels. Indie now means a sound. It's a certain sound. It's like a little bit alternative. Yeah. It's a little... It's, it's quirky. You know, you're not going to find it on the top 40. I think people kind of... It's it's almost like a synonym for like smart music almost it, it, in a yeah, way. It, which it, sounds it, in, incredibly pretentious, I know. But that's kind of, I think, how people look at it. That's Or, or like... Like serious music. It's a label that... Like any label, any genre, says something about what the people who listen to it want to think of themselves. <laughs> yeah. I listen to indie music, is you know, like you know what that person's about. Yes. As opposed to if they're like, I like metal or I like rap. Right. I really like reggae. 
with all those different things, you're like, oh, I kind of get a picture of what this person's about. Yes. That's really all the label does for me. But the interesting thing about it is, like, you had, for example, like, Mumford & Sons was on here. And their first album, which I guess is probably a proper indie album in some ways. But I don't know. It I had think huge hits. I think that's on a major label. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, that, I guess, is kind of that indie crossover hit. Where that and it had like four or five singles that was on top forty radio, and, and everyone kn- knows that album. And so, if we've established that indie is hard to define, folk is similarly hard to define. Because if you go back to the days of Bob Dylan, for example, where there was all these harsh lines about what could and couldn't be folk, and when he went electric at Newport and kind of riled, like you know, ruffled the feathers of all the old folkies, like that was kind of the end of folk being. Acoustic guitars. This one regimented yeah. thing, and you can tell that from the list. Yeah, it, can, it's it's interesting, and it's you know you bring up Newport. You look at Newport Folk Fest now, the modern day version right. of it. There's so many bands that would just be labeled as a rock band rock now. Bands. Like Frightened Rabbit is, yeah, technically they have elements of like folk music in there. They're more or less just an alternative rock band, and it's the same with like this year. Whitney, who just got announced, like yeah. that, they're just they're a rock band. Well, dude, like even Father John Misty, who makes right. an appearance on this list, which we'll discuss. Um, other than Fear Fun, to me, like he's gone further and further away from yeah. folk. I I've never even really totally thought of him as I this haven't folk really, artist. I haven't really either. I don't attribute that tag to him. Jay Tillman is a folk artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Father John Misty to me is like this sort of. He's more rock and roll than folk. Uh, yeah, I would agree with Especially that. Especially like with singer-songwriter, you know, like which is often lumped in with folk. Yeah, so it's, it becomes hard to define. It does. And the other thing about this list is they put on a lot of albums and artists here that I would never think of in the first place as folk. And two that stood out to me in particular were The Antlers with Burst Apart, which is kind of shoegazy in its own way, and right, it's yeah. like and then you have uh Tune Yards, which is like this weird blend of pop and and I guess folk, but like not really. I would never think of it. It's like a, it's like a pop almost R and B soul kind of feel more than than it is folk. Have you ever listened to Tune Yards? I have. I have a trust tree slash explained to Jake. I have not. Oh, listened okay. To Tune Yards. Okay. Tune Yards is really good. Um, there's a song. The one that you've probably heard is like business. Uh, spelled B I Z N E S S. Of it's course. Like, what's the business here? Um, there's a song that's in Orange is the New Black too, Gangsta. Uh, really good, actually. I don't know. It's I would never classify it as folk, though. So, like, that ended up on the list. And you make a good point that, you know, Father John Misty is on there. Um, Frightened Rabbit's on there. Yeah, like, Frightened Rabbit, we saw at Newport. They present just as a rock band. They're straight up rock band. They're, 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 playing, kind- they're playing, like, te- like fuzzed out telecast. Like if you want to call them a folk band then you may as well call the national a folk band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and I would never call the national folk. Right. And that's the thing is like the problem with that and I kind of see this from two ways because it's like on the one hand I'm inclined to sort of criticize some of the inclusions on the other I fully appreciate that it's kind of hard to find those genre lines yeah. and determine because everyone has a different definition like in my head I'll think some band might be folk and then like Father John Misty is an example I remember early on I kind of thought of him as folk and it took me listening to Honey Bear a lot of times to realize like oh this this isn't really a folk album, mm. but I've always sort of thought of it that mm-hmm. way just because it, that was sort of there mm-hmm. and because of the the Fleet Foxes connection. Right. And I don't know. There, there's just some artificial lines, and I think it's kind of different for everybody. So that's a good question. How would you define this amorphous genre then? How would you define – not? I get like indie folk 
or like folk rock? How how would you describe that? Like what would your yeah, definition? The be? hallmarks I look for are like some inclusion of acoustic guitars, some inclusion of vocal harmony, although that's not necessary because like Dylan didn't do a lot of harmony. Like someone like in Deer Tick, that guy, I, he's sort of folk. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Andrew McCauley or something like that. Some, yeah. I'd probably mess that I don't up. Know. But like a lot of times that'll just feature one voice. But I think, okay, so if I'm defining it, it's like there's acoustic guitar in it, limited electric, like electric sounds. Like you can have a band, but usually like cleaner sound guitars, not a lot of distortion, like more soothing in terms of a sound. Okay. Although, and I think usually um, kind of like some Baroque instrumentation like you mm. you'll hear instruments that aren't modern okay like fleet foxes or like like mandolins and yeah like and mandolins or like yeah. they'll bust out a lute <laughs> or like god <laughs> yeah. knows what like i feel like that's part of it is like there's some there's some sense of tradition that's involved okay. a banjo okay. or something so for me it's a little it's a little more wide ranging because in a way I agree with bands like Frightened Rabbit being on here. Yeah. I, I look at them and I'm like, yeah, you're like folk rock in a way. Because right. it's it's very hard to explain. I agree with you about the instrumentation. And there are things about Fleet Fox's songs, or I'm sorry, Frightened Rabbit songs that are just straight up like acoustic songs. But then there's like full on rock songs. Yeah. But I still think of all of their stuff as as folk rock. And to be clear, like I I feel like I'm I'm just throwing out what I think are like the hallmarks of, yeah. of like if I'm distilling folk to like an idea, those are the things I think of most. But y- y- yeah, yes, and I agree with you. Um I think in the modern sense, it it almost has to go beyond that. And it's funny though because when I think of indie folk rock bands, I don't think of Grizzly Bear as one, yet they're featured on this list pretty prominently. And I think a lot of other people would say that they are. To me, they are straight just like indie rock. They do like weird shit. They do. And, and to me, folk needs to be like more accessible in some way. It needs to have kind of like normal, not necessarily even song structure, but just like it needs to come across as like sort of more normal than yeah. They're like, like Grizzly, Grizzly Bear is like. Kind of wild in terms of they're, like, pre- they're pretty experimental. Yeah. yeah, so like less experimental, I think, is where I start to draw the line. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. So like we kind of both drew a line that's like a, just a different way to look at it because like you could say Frightened Rabbit isn't folk because they basically are an electric rock band. They're just mm-hmm. a regular rock band, and the line you're drawing there is that they have electric instruments and they basically just present as a rock band. Or you could someone like Grizzly Bear, who I think feature more in the way of acoustic stuff. Like, if you think of some of the way, like... Although they, they play a lot of electric guitar, yeah. but some of the way, like, Daniel Rossin plays guitar and stuff, like, I feel like you can hear some acoustic going on there. Yeah. Something about the way they present feels folkish to me, but that's the thing. And this is what I'm saying, is it's all artificial. Because in right. my mind, I had it at some point imbued in my head that Grizzly Bear is this alt-folk or indie-folk band... And that never left. And right. until right now, like I never, I always thought of them as somewhat experimental and doing cool stuff, but I never totally questioned it. Yeah, and here, here's another interesting piece of it too: is that you could be an artist who I don't consider to be a folk rock artist, but you can have this one album that I do think is a folk rock album. Sure, by you. Yeah, right, for perfect sure. example of this on the list is Angel Olsen. 
based on her last album that came out, Woman, I wouldn't say that she's a, a folk artist at all. Right. I would say you're just like an indie rock artist. Yep. But they included at number 84 on this list, on the Pace list, they had Burn Your Fire for No Witness. That, I do think, is like a folk rock album. If, if you've ever heard it, it's kind of lo-fi. Yeah, I have, yeah. It's got like those... like. Get kind of finger picked guitars on it and stuff. Finger picking is so, another big hallmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Angel Olsen, Burn Your Fire for No Witness, folk album. Angel Olsen in general, no, I don't necessarily think she is a folk artist, if if that makes sense. So I think we're seeing what is so difficult about making this list because there's the two distinguishing factors, both indie and folk. Yep. Are incredibly hard to define both on their own and to put them together. I think you say indie folk, people have a general idea of what you mean, yeah. but there's some controversy there. Like, for, I'm looking at the Lumineers at number 70. Like, that. That does feel very folk to me. It though. feels folk. It doesn't necessarily feel totally indie to me no. because it was so popular right. and they're such a big band. They also had of Monsters and Men, which right. feels folky enough to me. Right. It's that kind of new agey folk that you see at Newport now where it's like people are up there with telecasters and some guys playing a jug but for the most part it's a rock band <laughs> right like right. It's, and they kind of present as a folk band more playing the jug has gone way out of fashion it's not a thing I, it's or playing the washboard there's no that washboard. needs to come back I think there's not enough washboard there needs bands. to be more washboard washboard confession another one too is someone like the Avid brothers who I think trend between being like very folky kind of country at times yep. and then being straight up alternative rock at times too and they go back and forth on albums yeah. so it's it's kind of hard and that's another line where like you could call some, like I'm looking at the Civil Wars they're on here I think yeah they trend more like country, country. yeah and that's the thing is like there are some lines that are so cl- like blues folk country Americana all that stuff is it's really roots music yep. and it's also closely like related to one another that it's that's where if you're gonna say like oh a country artist can't be on here or like someone who trends more toward blues can't be on here that becomes really hard to discern because yeah, yeah. there's elements of all of those genres in one another yes it like a lot of those traditions blend so what we've established is that it's pretty impossible to define this genre and you could go a lot of different ways with it right. if we're taking this very broad definition of indie folk rock I would say Pace did a pretty decent job with it. There's a couple still that I'm like, eh, like you could have included something else here besides the Antlers or Toon Yards, etc. But I, I'm not going to really hold it against them. I think there's a, a, the most glaring error for me. Yeah, do you want to do you want to talk about like there's some weird choices that happened here on what was included versus what was left off? I think we both agree on this one. How do you not include the Fleet Foxes, the Fleet Foxes? How do you not include Fleet Foxes' first album? I I don't know. I I, I honestly thought it was gonna be like number one or two on this list. Me so too. as I was going through, I was like, oh, like Fleet Foxes is coming. It's coming. I was, and I saw Helpless is Blue is pretty high. I was like, okay, yep, the first album's coming. Never showed up. This is the thing about me and lists, and I feel like you're the same, where I know the mechanics of lists yes. well enough, where like, as I started to get to 15, I was like, ooh, I haven't seen Fleet Foxes yet. And so what I was starting to do was hope it wasn't there. I was like, I hope it's not number nine. It's not. Good. Yes. I yep. hope it's not number eight. Good. It's like the, the NBA draft yes. lottery. Yes. Where I'm like, I hope I'm not this number. Because I was just assuming that if it wasn't that next number, it was higher. Yep. And to see it not included at all was crazy to me. It almost makes this list null and void by not including it. It's seriously such an egregious error. When I think of indie folk rock, I that is the definition of it. When you see when you look up folk rock in the dictionary, yeah. there's a picture of the Fleet Fox's first album cover there to define it. That's 
all I think about when I think of this genre. Me too. And not only that, it's like, it's not even that they're going to argue they somehow don't include Fleet Foxes because Helplessness Blues is on here. Right. And so they can't make an excuse of like, oh, we somehow don't consider Fleet Foxes. Because the thing is, this is not, I don't think of this as just like one of my favorite folk albums. It's just one of my favorite albums. Right. And if it's not, I don't know where it doesn't make the cut here, but that's, I mean, that's crazy. The last Beirut album's on here. <laughs> I didn't listen to that because everyone I knew who listened to Beirut was like, it's not great. I agree. It comes in at 99 here, and I was surprised to see it. I was like, are you, really? This this is on, this is on the list? I was like, that wasn't even in one, in the top 100 of that year, let and, alone indie folk of all time. And you're not just going to even include Fleet Foxes at all. It's it blows crazy my mind. And, and what they said... At the start, they said we tried to limit the number of artists. We we capped it at a maximum of two albums by an artist. They include both Beirut albums, yeah. but they don't include both Fleet Foxes. That blows my fucking mind. Because the thing is, is with Fleet Foxes, you can cheat. You can go Fleet Foxes, Sun Giant. No one would ever question. Right? Because you got Pitch, Mik- Pitchfork named it their album of the year in two thousand eight. And you got Mykonos on there. First of all, I want to say there is nothing in the world more white. Than two guys from New Hampshire getting their feathers ruffled, about, sitting at like my rustic wood table, <laughs> yeah. getting their feathers ruffled about a miss about a missed album on a paste magazine <laughs> list of best indie folk albums. Like the only thing uh, I, I can't think of what could make it more. I, I can't either. You like, don't, you don't, we're both over here. We're kind of incensed. Oh, oh, I'm passionate about this. Yeah, this is a big deal. You know what I came to realize reading this list, though? I realized that indie folk is a wheelhouse genre for me. That's one of my favorite genres yeah. of music. I never would have said that if someone asked me, like, oh, hey, Sean, what, what are your favorite genres? I would have been like, just indie rock. Yeah. You know, I, re- I like rap. Even though we discovered a yeah. couple weeks ago, I don't actually like it that much because I don't know much about it other yeah. than the big three. Indie folk, though, I fucking love. Yeah. I've listened to like half the albums on this list, which I was pretty proud of. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that album. Like, ooh, that doesn't belong this high. Like, I'm knowledgeable about this particular genre. Yeah. And that's a wheelhouse for me. To that point, I have a lot of qualms with the way that this list is, list is structured outside of just Fleet Foxes, too. The Frightened Rabbit pick on here, they include one album. They include Winter of Mixed Drinks, which is a good album. It's a fine album. It is not even, it should, it's not even in their top two. They need to have Midnight Organ Fight at number one. They need to have Pedestrian Verse at number two. Then it's Winter of Mixed Drinks. So, like, that's a weird pick that I didn't totally understand. And then another one, too. They have um, Fear Fun by Father John Misty at number 10 on this list. And they have I Love You Honey Bear in like the 50s or something like that. I can understand not totally classifying I Love You Honey Bear as folk rock. But if you're going to have it on the list, how is it not higher than Fear Fun? I don't get it. I don't get that either. Because I was going to say maybe their argument could theoretically be it's less folk, so it's less high on the list. But that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't hold any weight for me. Another one I'm looking at right now that I listened to recently that I don't think makes a ton of sense on here is this Jens or Jens Lechman album. Yeah. Uh, I listened to that recently. It's really good. That's another one where it's like I don't necessarily see it as folk. He's more of like a producer. He kind of like curates sounds and and is like this electronic artist. Right. That's a weird inclusion. Yeah. You're going to include a Jens I guess his name's Jens. Yes. Which I learned while listening to Nightfalls over uh Cortadala, that's mm-hmm. the name of the album. 
perfect pronunciation by me there. Um, he he says yens in that, but so that's not even folk. It didn't seem folky to me on a first listen. Like he used there's some instruments. Is it because there's strings in there? They say that string soaked introduction. Like what? Yeah, I don't know. I guess also. How about did they include Benji on here? Sun Kill Moon? No, they did not. They include some other Sun Kill Moon. Album. Yes, they had another Sun Kill Moon. Uh, another weird one that I thought was ranking Mumford and Sons' debut, Sign No More, ahead of Vecatenist, or however you pronounce that album, by, by Grizzly Bear. I think it is Vecatenist. Honestly, not, not including Fleet Foxes and putting Mumford and Sons on the list at all might just be to pitch off, piss off Pitchfork. Are you serious? Because I can't think of anything in the world that would make the crew of Pitchfork writers get a bigger stick up their ass yeah. than the fact that Mumford & Sons is getting... Because they hate Mumford & Sons. Yes. Here's the thing. I love Cy No More. I, I think that's a great album. I really like I it I go to bat for that album. If I'm being perfectly honest, though, Vecatemist is a better album. Like, it, it's kind of that same argument as Father John Misty, where it's like, is that Mumford & Sons album more folky? Yeah, but it's not as good. So, right. like, that's a weird ranking. Um, you know, so, like, some interesting... Oh, here's another one for you. Uh, this might be a more personal one. Avid Brothers, I Am Loving You, comes in at number 47 on this list. Yeah. They put in Emotionalism by Avid Brothers at number 9 on this list. Yeah. yeah, number 9. I guess the consensus among Avid Brothers fans is that Emotionalism is their best album. I have such a connection to I Am Loving You. Yeah, I, I like that one a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on emotionalism. I can see how it's considered better, but I don't know if that belongs in the top ten of all time. That that seems very high to me. Yeah. You know what I'm looking at here? This doesn't seem askew in any way, but Gillian Welch came in at number five. Yeah. I've only ever heard great things about her, and this isn't a criticism. This actually makes me want to listen to her more yeah. because I know that when I was a kid, my dad loved Gillian Welch, and I never took the time to get into her. I think she's kind of like maybe bluegrass. It. I listened to it based on it being here. Oh, really? Uh, it's very, it's like very, very bluegrass. Bluegrassy folk. Did you like it at all? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, like the way that they uh, describe this in the list, that she just melted out of Depression era Appalachian mountain ice. That's pretty accurate to how that sounds. Okay. Um, I, it, it was fine. It's not going to be something that I go back to a ton, though. Like, it was good. Is it Gillian or Jillian? It's, I think it's Gillian. Gillian is a, okay, I think they okay. pronounce it Gillian. Here's another. Um, this was going to be a trust tree, but I'm jumping the gun on this. Um, so trust tree, I had never until today listened to Iron and Wine at all, except mm. for his cover of Such Great Heights. Mm -hmm. um, so today, based on its... Uh, Ranking on this list, it was the highest ranking album I hadn't listened to. Mm -hmm. And I listened to our endless numbered days. I mm -hmm. thought it was enjoyable. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Had you listened uh, to it before? I this? had listened to a handful of Iron and Wine songs, never a full album before. So I did actually go and listen to our endless numbered days in full. I knew some of the songs. It's good. On a recommendation of a coworker, he actually said that he enjoyed the. Uh, what is it called? The Creek Drank Itself or something like that. Right. Um, so I listened to that instead. I liked that one more, I actually. And what's weird is I feel like the most famous album by Iron and Wine is that one with the dog on the front. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. It's like a painting of a dog. Yeah. 
That seems like the most famous. It's it's the Creek drank the cradle. It had like a really lo-fi feel. It, it was cool. I, I liked it a little more than our endless number of days actually. So you know, it might actually be worth doing. I'm gonna read the top ten. Okay, yeah, read the top ten for anyone who hasn't seen this. So list the, yet. the top ten on this list was number ten is Father John Misty Fear Fun, which seems crazy to me. Yeah, be, like even as much as I like that album. That's a f- pretty flawed album in it a lot is, of ways. Yeah. If you're not a big Father John yeah. Misty fan, that's a pretty flawed album. Right. There are some songs that are basically throwaways. Yeah. Where if you like him, you'll like you'll, them. Right. And they are very much in that folk yeah. genre. Yeah. It's playing with song structures that you've heard a million times exactly. before. It's going to feel very familiar. It's not the most essential you know, I, I like it a lot, but at number ten, it just that seems high. At number nine, they put, as Sean said, Avett Brothers' "Emotionalism." Number eight, they put "Bright Eyes." I'm wide awake. It's I, morning. That's one that I don't think you're going to get a lot of debate from. I for most people love that album. So I listened to this album a few times um, a couple years ago, and I never quite like totally connected with it. But I, I do want to go back based on it. I, I think that's very deserving of that top ten spot. I, I really, really like it. Number seven, they have "Forever Forever Ago" by Bonnie Vare. Not going to get an argument from either nope. of us. Nope. Here's nope. what's interesting. How do you classify the rest of Bonnie Vare's stuff? Like, I think. This is exactly the dichotomy right here. I think the newest record, 33 a million, 22 a million, whatever. A lot of numbers. A lot of numbers numbers there. Jim Carrey. In in infinity size. Numerology. Yeah. That I I don't I wouldn't really classify as folk. Well, you could though. You could classify that as folk. That's what I'm saying. I feel like the it's the least folk of his albums, and then he's gone in a progression away from the, folk. The second record could absolutely be on this list. I feel like like is the, it getting snubbed like Fleet Foxes, or were they just like we're not including it? Well, how is how is I Love You, Honey Bear folk, and that's but not, that's not yeah. Like you have a song like Holocene, uh, Holocene, or uh, I'm trying to think of another one that's like mostly guitars. What Mi- Michigan? Yeah. Like that's a lot of that's like a strummed guitar and yeah. like simple harmony. I don't know. I don't. I don't really fully understand. Bonnie Verrett can be a weird one, but definitely for Emma falls within this, and it is deserving of that seventh it spot. Is. Number six, they went with Nick Drake, Pink Moon, the classic 1972 album. Yep. Um, you 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 just have to include Pink Moon on this list, or it just goes out the window as yeah. having any credibility. Well, it's. I feel like as this album has gained popularity, it's become more and more in vogue. It's become trendy to name drop Pink Moon. Yeah. Because it's, it's great. Yeah. Number five is the Gillian Welsh album Revival. Number four is that Iron and Wine album, Our Endless Numbered Days. Number three, Elliot Smith, Either Or. This is another one where if you don't have this in your top ten, you lose credibility. I, it's not in my top ten. I really like it. It's grown on me a ton as I've gotten older. Yeah. I can definitely see why it's here and why it's number three. Very deserving. It is. It was a candidate for my top ten. I think it's not going to get it because it just doesn't have enough sentimental value for right. me. Right. That's the thing. Um, we got into it a little bit later. Had we gotten into that when we were 15, 16, it'd be a top ten album for Elliot sure. Elliot Smith was a fucking awesome songwriter. Mm. He wrote such catchy melodies. And I was reading an interview of his where he was talking about basically... The way he goes about it is he just like picks. He likes to write chord progressions and finish them out, and like that's like what he liked doing is writing melody and chord progressions. Which, like for me, listening to that, it's like fucking candy Mm -hmm. because it's like so much of what my I'm looking for that so much in music. Mm -hmm. I love what Elliot Smith does. Number two, Neutral Milk Hotel in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Another one. That's another one. It kind of has to be here. Feels like a cliche at this point, to be honest with you. It does. And to continue with the trust tree. 
I think it's a touch overrated. I do too. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I really like it. It's good. It's really I good. like a lot of the songs, but I would be lying to you if I said I ever had a full-blown, I love this album, I'm obsessed with it phase. I like almost hit that. I had it. I had, if, if we're talking about I love this album, I'm way into it, is like a 10 out of 10. I got to like an 8.75 with it. Where so that's like, pretty good. Yeah. I've had phases where I've listened a couple times in a week, but it's never been one where I've had a high concentration of listens where I'm like, yeah. I, like in a in a short amount of time where I'm like I'm all in on this. Something about it, I, I I'm good for a listen or two, and then I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. Well, that's I'm, the thing I'm, I'm about albums like that. And, and to be honest, I kind of feel that way about Pink Moon. Uh, I've never had a full blown like right. I love this. I'm way in. I think it's more influence than anything with those where it's like. You know, in the airplane over the sea went on to define basically all of the indie folk rock of the 21st century. Yeah. So, like, it very important in that regard. Right? No, yeah, absolutely important. And then with Pink Moon, I did get to it. Right. right. I had like a full blown like Nick Drake phase where right. I discovered he existed. Right. Um, number one on this list, listeners, try to guess. It's Sufjan Stevens, Illinois. So, okay, first qualm. I will never be totally sure of what the name of this album is. Come on, is yeah. it Sufjan Stevens invites you to come on feel the Illinois? Is it Illinois? Is it Illinois? I I don't know. I never know how to to write it or say it. I guess it's just Illinois. I guess so. Um, here's a trust tree for you, Jake. Yeah. And this is gonna sound like I'm piling on, and then I'm being very negative about this list. <laughs> I, th- I think Illinois is a little overrated, too. I, it's a really good album. It's really, really good. I never find myself wanting to listen to it, though. I love certain songs on here. Yeah. Like uh, John Wayne Gacy Jr. is amazing. Um, Chicago. Chicago. You know, there's a ton of amazing songs on here. I honestly couldn't tell you how some of the songs at the end go. Because it's so long. Yeah. And there's so many weird little, like, 30-second clips in there and stuff. It's a really good album, really unique sound. I just never want to listen to it. Yeah, I I had a little bit of a phase with this album um, back when Carrie and Lowell came out. I kind of yeah. revisited it, and I had a couple weeks where I was listening to it fairly often, and I was sort of all in on it. And the fact that I knew John Wayne Gacy Jr. and the fact that I knew uh, Chicago going in kind of hooked me. Um, but... I haven't gone back to it a ton. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's and, what I'm saying. And yeah. I will. It, I'm looking at now. It's, it's 22 songs over a, an hour and 14 minutes. That's a good candidate for trim the fat. Except I'd have to revisit and figure out what all the little like 15 second weird things are. Because it's also an album that has song names like, for example, track six, a short reprise for Mary Todd, who went insane but for very good, and I can't read the rest right. because there's a dot 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 and I don't know what it says. Or there's one like. Track 11. To the workers of the Rock River Valley region, comma, I have an idea, con, and I can't read the rest. So, like, th- it's an album that doesn't lend itself to, like, knowing track names yeah, and being like, oh, yeah. I love this song. Right. Because with the exception of Chicago and Casimir Pulaski Day, John Wayne Gacy Jr., Jacksonville, every song name in the Sears Tower, almost every song name on here is, like, a sentence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is not, doesn't lend itself to discussion. Right. I think that's part of it is like if you're talking Fleet Foxes or you're talking Grizzly Bear or whatever, any of these bands, if you're into Mumford and Sons, you can be like, oh, I love the song uh, He Doesn't Know Why. Mm-hmm. I love the song. And I think that goes with any album. I think that's part of it, makes this more impenetrable. It's almost more of like an experience than anything. Yeah. And so, I, to be honest, it's not even my 
first or second favorite Sufjan Stevens album. I like your Car- big Age of Odds guy. Age of Odds is my favorite Sufjan album. Uh, followed by Carrie and Lowell, and then Illinois. So, didn't you have a falling out with Carrie and Lowell? Yeah, I did a little bit. I, d- I don't like it as much as I did last year. Or, like it wouldn't be in my top, f- or, or when it came out, 2015. Yeah, two probably years ago. wouldn't be in my top five anymore for 2015. But I went back and I actually listened again because, independent of this list, I've been on a huge acoustic folk kick lately. Yeah. I just have a, a playlist of like 300 songs that I shuffle and a lot of those would come up and I listened to it again recently. It is really good still. I do like it a little bit better than Illinois. Um, so yeah, I've fallen out a little bit but I'm a little bit back too. So. The thing is with Sufjan is I, uh, I I really, really like him and the album I've listened to the most is Carrie and Lowell so I, I feel like I just have to pick that one because yeah. I've listened to Age of Odds a couple times. Is it odds or ads? Uh... I think it's ads. Yeah. I think you can go either way. And the thing about that album is, like, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like my hunch is that if I were going to try to get into it, I kind of need to be in a Sufjan place first, which is an entryway into that album, and then if I'm really going to love it, that's where Hmm. I'll take off with it. That's interesting, because the way I got in, I wasn't in a Sufjan place at all. I was like, oh, this is supposed to be pretty good. I'm just going to listen to it. And that is actually the one where I need to be in a Sufjan mood to listen to those other two. I right. could be in any mood to enjoy Age of Ads, so it's kind of flipped for me. It's a little bit different. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit all of those soon. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about let's talk about what our top ten indie folk albums would be because yep. we've spent a long time complaining about this list. I think. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> so let's let's go a little positive here. We'll give you ours. Uh, Do you want to go first? Yes, I'll go first. My number one. We mentioned this earlier. Oh wait, wait, Sean. What's more fun for listeners if you go oh, ten you ca- to one countdown? Okay, countdown is, is okay. Uh, yeah. So my my ten, I have a toss up between a few different ones. Between I'm wide awake, it's morning, loves crushing diamond, uh, by mutual benefit, and smoke ring for my halo by Kurt Vile. I'm gonna give the nod to I'm wide awake, it's morning by Bright Eyes. I love that album. That's going at my number ten spot. Number nine, I have Bonnie Vare for Emma forever ago. I'm not going to count those other two. If I did, I would. those would be ahead of for Emma, but that's neither here nor there. Number eight, I have Bell and Sebastian with If You're Feeling Sinister. Number seven, I have Midnight Organ Fight by Frightened Rabbit. Number six, I have Sun Kill Moon by Benji. And by the way, these top... That's reversed. You said Sun Kill Moon by Benji. Sorry, Benji, Sun Kill Moon. That actually sounds more like it would be an artist's name, yeah, Benji, true. than Sun Kill Moon. That, that, maybe that's, that's what happened there. This top six... These are some of my favorite albums of all time. These right. would be in my top 50 albums of all time, yeah. actually. Uh, that's how wheelhouse this folk rock shit is for me. Number five, I have Milk-Eyed Mender by Joanna Newsom. I didn't count Ease, and I didn't count any of her other stuff, even though it could be folk as well. Ease is on the list. Ease is on the list. The I was like, list. that feels more like Baroque pop almost yeah. than, than folk. Milk-Eyed Mender feels very much in that folk wheelhouse, though. So I went Milk-Eyed Mender at number five. To be honest with you, this entire list, I could have had every Joanna Newsom record on this list. Really? Yeah. It, it would have been like five, six, seven, eight. It, her four albums would have been like right in a row wow. right there. Even Have One On Me? Yeah. I've come way around on Have One On Me. It's like it's just as good as all the other ones. Wow. It's too long, but it's it's amazing. But you're all in. Uh, s- number four, I have Fleet Foxes, Helpless is Blues. Number three, I have Tallest Man on Earth, The Wild Hunt. Number two, 
Father John Misty, I love you, Honey Bear. And number one, we mentioned it earlier, Fleet Foxes' self-titled album, Fleet Foxes. Tack on the Sun Giant EP to that, too, and you got yourself the best indie folk experience you could ever have. For me, it's tack it on if you want or if you don't want. Don't do it's it. Still it's number still one. A number yep. one. Spoiler alert. Uh, for me, the I also did a nominee system at number 10, ultimately deciding on Sea Change by Beck because yes. I saw it on this list, and I decided that if it's on the list, I'm just going to include them. Sea Change is your version of uh, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning. Interesting. That's I, that's what I've come to realize. Okay, yeah. I I really really like that album. Haven't visited revisited it in a long time, but I was into it a few years ago. The other nominees I considered were Either War by Elliot Smith, Smoke Ring from My Halo by Kurt Vile, Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan, and If You're Feeling Sinister by Bill and Sebastian. Number nine, I have Forema Forever Ago by Bonnie Vare. At number eight, I have Pink Moon by Nick Drake. Um, discovered that in college in a writing class. My teacher just put it on, and it was like one of these rare experiences where someone was playing music that I had legitimately never heard of mm. at all and really liked it. Like, usually if that's happening, it's like, oh, I know who this is. I like right. this more than I thought I did. Right. Like, I've heard of, like, if it's a Bruce Springsteen song that I haven't heard before, like, oh, that's really good. Right. I'd never heard this person, and so at the, it's a very special experience in my memory because it was this, like, total discovery feeling where I was like, I didn't know this person existed and now I love this album and really like two hours by him and he has this cool story too Um, number seven I went with Grizzly Bear Shields their most recent album that one to that point earlier feels the most like just straight indie rock like uh, Vecatemest feels more folky than Shields to me at least I can see putting it on here for sure the thing about both is they both have these relatively experimental moments yes. that kind yes. of in some ways exclude them. Right. I included them because right. I saw Grizzly Bear on the list, so I'm yeah. just considering them yeah. folk. Um, number six is where I have I Love You, Honey Bear by Father John Misty. There's some debate here. I kind of did this quick because next I have Sun Kill Moon uh, with Benji. Um, I could see swapping those one way or another. Five and six is sort of variable. Um, number four, I have Helplessness Blues by Fleet Foxes. Number three, Vecatimist by Grizzly Bear. Number two, I have The Wild Hunt, Tallest Man on Earth. That album packs more of a sentimental punch than oh. virtually any album of all time for yeah. me. If yep. and I hear the opening chords of the song The Wild Hunt, I'm immediately transported back to I, that first fall I got into it. I almost can't enjoy it anymore. I can't I not almost. I flat out can't enjoy it as much as I used to yep. because it's so closely tied to that time and place in my life. And it really just stays as high on these lists because I know that emotional connection to it. I'm not putting it on now and loving it as much as I did, but because I loved it as much as I did and it soundtracked my life at that time, it's always just going to be high. Let me ask you this. Did you give any consideration to There's No Leaving Now? I I thought about it. Or what was the most recent one called? Um, Uh, Dark Bird is Home, which has grown on me immensely. Right. Like... That also came out in 2015. That's higher than Carrie and Lowell for me now. Like, okay. Easily. Dark Bird is Home, underrated. I considered both of them. But the strength of the rest of this list was too much. It, yeah. it does not crack the top ten. It, it doesn't. I think I think there's no leaving now might have ended up making a top 20, top 15. Oh, de- oh definitely top 20. Definitely top 20. Yeah. Um, and then at number one, I had Fleet Foxes with their self-titled debut. And... I don't think we did this. We didn't both put Fleet Foxes at the top of our list to prove any point. No. About the paste list, 
I think we both legitimately just love it. That, like, that, that album is one of... That's probably, a top 10 album of all time for me. It is so. for me, too. And part of it's sentimental, and maybe yeah. some people don't think of it the same way, but I, to me, that album's like untouchable. It's mm-hmm. so yeah, good. It's amazing. Hey, listeners, if you haven't checked out the first Fleet Foxes album... <laughs> You're, like, I'm jealous of you that you get too. to experience this. Do yourself a favor. Here's a question for you. Um, would it be cool to put together a listening podcast indie folk playlist like um, we do for for some of our other episodes like this where we're talking about a specific genre or a yeah. specific thing I think that could be good maybe like a hundred songs or something like that yeah include some of the best cuts from yeah. these albums yeah. from our, our yeah. list which I were, think that'd be cool our lists were very similar in a lot of ways yeah, in fact our top four had three of the same albums, and we had the number one and four slots in the same spot. Yes. So yeah, we can pick some of our favorite songs from these albums. I think that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Include some from both lists. We can go outside the top. Yeah. We can go all yeah. the nominees and stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what are we up to now? Oh, we're doing Trim the Fat this week. Trim the Fat. Yeah, so we've already done a Trust Tree. I don't have a recommendation of the week. I also don't have a Two Truths and a Lie this week. I'll do it next week. Okay. Let's, no Rushmore this week, either. No Rushmore. Let's round out with Trim the Fat. Because we're talking indie folk, we're talking folk, let's do a classic Bob Dylan album. Let's do Blonde on Blonde, because this is one that we both love. I think if we're being honest, we know it's a little too long. Because it comes in at, how long is this album? An hour 12. A buck 12. 14 songs, which makes it tough. 14 tracks, yeah. Um, And what's tough is that you have songs like Stuck Inside of Mobile um, and Visions of Johanna. And Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands are the three longest songs. Mm-hmm. I think all of them are indispensable. I wouldn't lose any of them. I, 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 I could see getting rid of, of those um, stuck inside a mobile if I had to pick one. That is one of my favorite songs on the album. Is it? In, my favorite song. Maybe my favorite Visions. Bob Dylan song is Visions of Johanna. So And you yeah. can, and the thing is, you can't lose Sad Eyed Lady. You can't. Lady. It's you so can't. blonde on blonde. You really can't lose that. So... Let's agree. Let's keep all of those, but we're looking at 25 of our 50 minutes taken up by three songs. Yeah. So we have some work to do here. Now, the rules for anyone who isn't familiar, we take an album that we think is a little too long, and we cut it down to get it to under 50 minutes, which we have deemed a more suitable length for listening. So we're at 72 minutes total, so we need to bring it down by 22 I think some of the easiest cuts come near the end of this album. Agreed. I think you can cut obviously five believers. Yep, we're deleting it. Fourth so time that's around. the second to last track. I think you can cut fourth time around. And absolutely, sweet Marie. Right? I I think or temporary like Achilles. I'd rather cut yeah. temporary like Achilles. Bob Dylan was obsessed with adverbs and yeah. words that end in y on this. There's yep. there's a stretch of songs from track nine. Most likely you'll go your way and I'll go mine. There's Temporary Like Achilles, Absolutely Sweet Marie, Obviously Five Believers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I cut Obviously Five Believers, uh, Fourth Time Around, Temporary Like Achilles. Those Agreed. have always been the ones that drag the most yeah, for me. You're like, let's just get this sad-eyed lady. Let's go. Because that's still another track. you got to get through 11 minutes there. When I've been in my biggest Dylan's um, moods, all of these songs do it for me. Right. But they're the ones that are the, the biggest struggle, and I think they're the least sort of inspired. So what does that get? That's that gets us minutes. down to 11 songs, 59 minutes right now. We got nine minutes to cut, and dude, I'm looking through right now. It's going to be almost impossible to cut any of these. Um, Let, let's start out with what we can't get rid of. That's Visions of Johanna, yeah. Sad-Eyed Lady, uh, Stuck Inside a Mobile. I wouldn't cut Rainy Day Women. I would not cut that either. I would not cut I Want You. 
Just like a woman, you can't Just cut. like a woman. Uh, Would you cut Pledging My Time? Is that what we're down to? As much as dude, I like that song? You can't... I, I think you do. I think you... But it's only, it's only cutting you 348. But here's the thing. At that point... Do we get rid of... I, I, I'm personally saying get rid of Absolutely Sweet Marie out yeah. of what's left here. I could see it. You know, like is, is, are any of these, is that better than any of the songs that are left? How do you feel about Le- Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat? Because I feel like Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat brings a lot of humor to the table. It's a funny song. Yeah. Can be a little annoying. Yeah. If it's not what you're in the mood for. Is that a cut? That's four minutes. Yeah, let's cut that. So we're cutting Leopard Skin Pillbox. And if we cut Sweet Marie, that gets us down to 50 exactly. All right, let's do that. Let's All see right. how the track list sounds. So we're at nine songs, 50 minutes. We got Rainy Day Women, and we're 12 and 35. All-time great track. You know man. what? I, I think it's good we keep pledging my time because I like having that in between that and Visions. Because you have like the wackiness of Rainy Day Women you go into pledging my time, and you're like, "Fuck yeah!" I get seven and a half minutes of visions of Johanna, and I love—I really love pledging my I time. I do too. I think it has some of the most insane harmonica. It playing. is the most shrill harmonica ever. I think partly why my hearing isn't as good as it could be is being a kid mowing my parents' lawn, turning up my headphones really loud so I could hear the music, and then having pledging my time come on and like burst my eardrum. The he holds a note. Bob Dylan holds a note at the end of Pledging My Time on his harmonica that I swear to God is like... <laughs> it, 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 this, it says this song is only 3 minutes 48 seconds. That has to be a typo. Sean, it has to be because he holds that note for at least 4 minutes. <laughs> it's... It, it, it is just on the cusp between being a dog whistle and what a, a human can hear. He's it, it, So, first of all, take a step back. Because the best thing about Blonde on Blonde is it's the height of Stoner Dylan just being as fucking weird and out there with lyrics and the way he can present stuff as possible. And what's so weird about it is he does it over such sort of like folky slash bluesy sounding songs, but the lyrics are, it's like an acid trip listening to this album. And the music's not even weird. The music's (laughs) not even psychedelic. Right. And this is one of the trippiest albums of all time. Right. And it it doesn't even, like, the music's not even in that vein. That's one of the cool things about it. And so, like, that's the thing about, like, no matter what song you cut, you're losing some of that character. It's true. Because the the weirdness of the lyrics and the way he delivers on these songs, like, some of them are less essential than others, but there's so much interesting shit going on. It's actually, now that I think about it, it's almost not fair to do Trim the Fat with Blonde on Blonde. Because it's like a... It's like prettiest. You kind of need the whole package, but... Fuck it. It's a segment. We're doing it. No, I agree that we should continue. And I think the argument, like the criticism of this would be, people would be like, well, the reason Blonde on Blonde is so great is that it is so unwieldy. Yes, we know. We know. It is so weird. We're we're doing a fun thing. Like, (laughs) chill out. We understand. We love Blonde on Blonde. There's no question. Okay, so we got Rainy Day Women 12 and 35, Pledging My Time, Visions of Johanna, one, One of, of us, us must, must know. know sooner or later. Yeah, and then that that goes into "I Want You" at track five. So so far the track listing's untouched through it, five it, songs. That is correct. Uh, then we go stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis Blues again. So if you were given this list with just free reign, would you have cut it? Because I I don't want you keeping it just because of me. No, no, I wouldn't have. This is one of my favorite songs on here. Okay, me too. Um, but 
you know, if it's going up against Visions. Yeah. See, I actually technically like this song better than Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Yeah. But Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands feels so essential to Blonde on Blonde. It's like I almost can't cut it even. It's kind of like last week when we were doing um, Pure Comedy. Yeah. How we cut Leaving L.A. Yeah. Even though I like that more than some of the songs we left on. For pure length. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, the thing is, one of the reasons I can't lose Stuck Inside a Mobile is this song is just this actually wasn't a pun intended I was gonna say it's pure comedy to me <laughs> I really didn't mean it and then I realized that it's a pun yeah. um, when he's like seeing lyrics like speed built a fire on main street and shot it full of holes like that like dude yep no one in the studio was with Dylan like hey with that voice and these <laughs> lyrics maybe a little less of that <laughs> Like, dude, it's so uh, crazy what he got away with. Yeah. When you listen to it's, what he's singing. It's laugh out loud funny. When you when you listen to, first of all, what he's singing is insane. And then when you listen to the way he's singing it. Yeah. Like, first of all, this has been a long standing point for me. When people do a Bob Dylan impression, it's this voice where it's like <laughs> really whiny. Speed build a fire on Main Street like that. That when people make fun of Dylan, that's it. That's just blonde on blonde Dylan. That's not even an embellishment of what it sounds like. No, but it's it's also not any other album. Right. That's yeah. That's true. Like Highway sixty one, he's not singing that way. That's true. He he's kind of more nasally. It's more nasally, and it's like what's cool about Dylan is he's a different voice for every album. Completely change Nashville skyline. He's now a country artist and singing like with some beauty behind his voice. He does that also in uh, John Wesley Harding. It's less yeah. country, but it is still that weird well, voice. And then, and then he goes back to normal for like Desire and Blood on the Tracks. And then in right, that's a little more whiny, but it's older, grittier Dylan. Yeah. And then you have early albums where it's that terse sort of like. Very syllabic, yeah. um, folk singing. Yeah. Oxford Town, Oxford yeah, Town, and yeah. there's like blown in the wind. It's like more talking, right? That's where true. it's like he has a different voice for every album, but somehow the blonde on blonde voice sticks. I think the people who didn't like Dylan got more annoyed by this I than bet. anything else. I bet. Okay, yeah. sorry, I keep, I no, keep sidetracking. Uh, those are all great Dylan points. So we're up to stuck inside a mobile. Six tracks in, no cuts. No cuts. We're up to just like a woman now on our trim the fat list. Oh, because we, we did cut uh, Leopard Skin Pillbox. That's right. That's okay. right. Yep. Then uh, we have Most Likely You Go Your Way, parentheses, and I'll Go Mine. I love that song. That's Me a too. Great, it's a great little jam. Then we go on a big run of cuts Yep. to get to the last song, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Yes, yeah, so we cut basically most of the second half of the yeah. album. I got to be honest, though. like That is always the time where yep. I'm like, oh, we're only on this track right now? Yeah. Like, holy shit. This is dragging. Yeah. But... Is the trust tree for us on Blonde on Blonde just that we don't like it as much as you're supposed to? It might be. Well, here's the thing. When we were first getting into it, I think we both really, really loved it. It was like right up there with Highway 61. As I've gotten older, it's Highway 61 and then it's um, bringing it all back home. And I, I honestly would rather listen to Desire too. I feel like in some ways I've had kind of the inverse experience where like I don't know the back half of this album – when I was younger, I, I could never come around to some of those songs. Like, obviously, Five Believers, Temporary Like Achilles. Yeah. I always thought they were just boring. Yeah. With age, I've started to like Interesting. those more. Interesting. I was so into it. I was like, these are all good. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, I don't need to listen to those anymore. That's the weird thing is, like, I was into it when I first started listening to it. But it was 
I used to do this. I feel like I could do this trick where I'd be into it on name alone, and just the fact that I was listening to Blonde yeah, on Blonde was yeah, good yeah, enough, yeah. kind of thing. I don't know. Right. It's, it's That's a, a good point. I would do that a lot with things, actually. When yeah. I was a kid, when I didn't fully get it, I'd be like, "Well, I'm listening to Bob Dylan, so right. like, that's cool." So take that. Yeah, that's a really good point that I never was able to like put into words. It was the reputation of what I was listening to pulled me through some of the weird shit that I didn't get as a kid or didn't really like. And what yeah. I realized, like as I got older, is I was like, "Oh." Sometimes the like the slow groove on temporary like Achilles isn't boring. It's it's just nice to listen to. Yeah, and that's sort of like some of the epiphanies I have with this album. Later Did on. you ever have moments when you were a kid or or like in your teenage years when you were listening to this type of music and you were like, "What if I don't actually like this and I'm just liking it because I'm supposed to like it?" Yeah. or it's like a cool thing to be liking. Of course, and I still get that feeling with albums that come out now, like especially when we try to analyze them and break yeah. them down for the podcast, like with Damn or or Pure Comedy, both those albums I was like, do I like it as much as I think? Are my assessments right. all accurate or yeah. am I I think excuse that way me, too. am I forcing takes? I get really scared that I'm never going to truly enjoy an album as much as I enjoy some of the ones we just talked about ever again. Yeah, I do too. Or I'm like, "Oh, you're just not at the age anymore where you can really enjoy albums like you did. You're not going to have that emotional connection to them because you're you're not going through like the ups and downs that you go through during that stretch of your life. You're just more even now and as a result, you don't you don't connect with things as much. And there's more. There's just more to listen to. And also the things that seem novel, you realize as you get older like, "Oh, well, that really draws influence from yes. this, and yep. that really is just the next iteration of this type of band, yep. where you kind of had to be there. So, like, there was there probably will be a Fleet Foxes of the next decade, yeah. where kids who are coming up who are around our age when we got into Fleet Foxes are like, "This is revolutionary. Yep. This is game changing." For example, and we'll, and then there's old dudes like us who will be like, "We'll be in our thirties, Fleet Foxes." We'll be like, "Yeah, well, you know, well, we were around when Fleet Foxes came out, <laughs> man." So you don't know. It's funny because, you know, I was asking my buddy Ian, who I work with, who's a little bit older than me. I was like, what's your top ten? Because I gave him mine. I was like, realizing, and I said, I was like, my list is actually the definition of a late 2000s, early 2010s, millennial indie folk rock list. Yep. His stuff was all different. Completely different stuff. It's going to be older, and I think a lot of it does have to do with when you grow up. Yeah. So that's... uh... So I just... That has been on my mind kind of a lot lately, where I'm like, fuck... I'm not going to enjoy anything as much as I did when I was like between the ages of 16 and 21. It might be true. And if it is, it's a depressing way to go out. But yeah. but at least we, we trimmed the fat <laughs> on what many people would call a perfect album. <laughs> and you can find that playlist of our Blonde on Blonde Trim the Fat if you just search for Listen In Podcast on Spotify. We will be adding an indie rock or indie folk playlist to there as well. We'll, We can take our time on that. Let's let's work on that throughout the rest of the week. We can just make a collaborative playlist. We'll add shit to it as we go along. Uh, But that does it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a bunch of new album talk. Thanks, everyone. Okay, we're on... Okay, I got something for you. Okay. You know how when people talk about going on errands... and they, they talk finished ab- with those errands? <laughs> they- <laughs> <laughs>
errant, 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 errant. They talk about the way they contextualize it is like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, what if you have to go out to get a, a, a gallon of milk or whatever? Go out right. and pick up some milk. Sure. When's the last time you've gone out to just go get milk? That's always the, the thing people contextualize, like just running out quickly to get. I run out quickly to go get, like, booze. Right. I don't run yeah. out quickly to go get a, a jug of milk. So, unfortunate for you, you asked the absolute yeah. wrong guy. Anyone, but I, I'll, I'll, anyone but me, it would be like never. Okay. But because of my cereal addiction, <laughs> not affinity, not enjoyment of addiction, um, physiological addiction to cereal. Because addiction implies that like it's gone past the point of you enjoying it. For you, you just have to do it. I still enjoy it, so maybe I'm not quite right. there. Is the high as much as it used to be? Yeah, dude, it never goes down. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I, I still fucking love it. And, but what it is, is like part of it is like it's maintenance for me now because, like, before bed, if I don't have that, that taste, if I don't get that taste, I have trouble falling asleep. And I have never really tested it too much because mm. I usually just give in and go have a bowl yeah. of four or five of cereal. <laughs> when you're going out to get milk, is that all you're getting? Or are you usually getting cereal with it? Or are you getting I've, something else with it? I've done either just a run for literally cereal only okay. or milk only. And it would be like when we lived at McGregor, okay. I would walk to get uh, just like a half gallon of okay. milk. Maybe I'm not the best example here because I literally don't drink milk. Well, I drink almond milk sometimes, like right. once or twice a week, depending on what I'm eating. Um, but I've never once gone out for just milk. Unfortunately, I have. If you were talking to, like, pretty, I think really pretty much anyone else, is a no. You would have probably gotten okay. A no. Listeners, get at us about this milk thing. Yeah. Like, should we stop using that as a placeholder for run out for a quick errand? And like, oh, gotta go, you know, pick up some milk. And in my times where, I, like, I'm trying to cut dairy, I've tried to cut milk out, like cows. Excuse me, milk. Yeah, I've tried to cut it out of my diet because, like, I don't really need it. Mm. And I would rather, I honestly would rather drink like almond milk or some alternative plant-based milk. But I can't do it. Like, I, I have a hot week where I'm like, oh, this is fine. This is good. Right. I know I'm lying to myself. Because yeah. by the end of the week, I crave yeah. the regular milk. you got to rewire that brain chemistry. Because I'm you're trying. getting... Basically, what is happening is your, like, neural pathways yeah. are just a super highway for dopamine with, like, real milk. <laughs> what you need to do yeah. is rewire so you're getting that same rush with the replacement milk. The hardest part's creating a habit. It's like if yeah. you're going to start working out or yeah. start a major dietary change, yeah. like yeah. not drinking milk, you have to just kind of grin and bear it through that's a right. few weeks. Like, yeah, that's what it takes. Because actually what I'm describing is what most people describe when they like start going on a diet or they start working out. Like yeah, It was great for a couple days, and yeah. then third day in, I was like... Hit a wall. I just wanted to eat some Haagen-Dazs exactly. and watch The Bachelor. Well, I think the issue here, and this is some real life advice for all the listeners, I think when you're doing something listen like in, that... Listen up. You need that should be what that's called. Ooh, the listen in, listen up. I like that. I think what you need to do is you need to go about it slowly. You can't do it all at once. No. You need to slow. Like when you, if you're looking to radically change your diet, you need to take out one thing at a time. Yep. Um, I think same with working out. You can't be like, oh, I'm going to start running five miles every single day. It's like, no, run like one mile a week and yep. then like work your way up, yep. you know? So I think that's the, that's the issue there. 
that's the only way to go. With yeah. milk, I haven't found that balance. Yeah, that's I it it's actually to the point where like the culture and gen people in general today in society are so anti milk that I'm a little mm, embarrassed to admit that's I've ever true. Had any. It's kind of like a scarlet letter to be yeah. wearing right now. Like, but big milk. Will I was going to say though. big milk is they got their hooks in you. Yeah. I think what they've started doing, they're probably adding nicotine to all of the milk that's out there. Probably to get also hooked. I don't like agree with or like dairy procurement mm, processes. Yeah, right. I don't really agree with like the dairy industry and the way they do that stuff. Well, but you're like, supporting them, Jake. I know I am. And with to your go, dollars. I know. And to go vegan would be very, very difficult for me yeah. because of the amount of, of milk and eggs and cheese that I means eat. no more pizza. It wouldn't be Well, no. you could have vegan pizza, which well, might as well not be pizza. But I'm not how where am I gonna get that in Manchester? Like, Portland pie. They have vegan pizza? Yeah. Huh. Well, Jake, so it sounds like you're out of excuses. you got all sorts of options. You can make your own. <laughs> it's true. I could. You know what's funny is when people, like, if, if like, guilt someone who is doing something, like, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, if, if you're a vegetarian. Yeah. And someone's like, <laughs> yeah. and you're talking to someone who eats meat. Yes. And you're like, oh, well, I couldn't go vegan for this reason. And then that person's like, well, you have, you know, you have tons of ways to do it. You're just being lazy. As they, like, cut into a filet yes. or eat, like, a sausage and pepperoni meat lover's yeah. pizza. Yeah. Like, you know, Jake, it's not hard to, uh... <laughs> You know, there's there's options out there. They're it's very popular now. It's not hard. You know, and like, and the thing is, is with Morningstar and Beyond Meat, they're making all kinds of products, including uh, guilt-free eggs, guilt-free cheeses. Have you ever tried a, a dairy-free cheese? No, it's not good. No. Oh, oh wait, no, I have because I've had that vegan pizza at Portland. Was Pine. it good? No, it sucks. So here's the thing: is I ate one slice once when I bought it at like Hannaford or Market Basket. Yeah. And I tried it, and it was I – di- I don't think I melted it enough. I think the key to a vegan cheese is you got to melt it. Because well, I don't think you want to eat, like, just plain cheese on, like, a cold-cut sandwich. No. Also, though, I think when even when you melt it and it comes out of a piping hot oven, yeah. it still looks like it's not melted. It looks – you know when on a regular pizza when you sprinkle cheese on it and it's only, like, half melted? Yeah. That's what it looks like when it's fully done. Something That's a- so it throws me off. Something about it – Freaks me it's out. It's gross. Like there's an uncanny valley thing yes. with with fake cheese. Yes. Just it's, eat the normal cheese. Right. Unless you're like so. Or just opposed. don't eat cheese. It's hard to avoid cheese. Yeah, it is. I it love is. Tim I, Howe avoids it like the fucking plague. Dude, Tim Howe Big shout. is one step closer to being a vegan. Yeah, actually, in fact, if there's a way to get him to start eating cheese, yes. probably tell him that. Well, he God forbid he gives up his plain hamburger on like oat toast. When we run out of hamburger buns, when my family runs out of hamburger buns, he just throws it on toast and eats it plain. He'll throw a little salt on the top and just eat it plain on oat toast. So if you think about what he's having, he's having a salted red meat sandwich on just plain bread. Yes. And it's become kind of normal to me. Where like I don't even think twice totally, but then you know I do stuff like a that. Wild thing. Like today at lunch, I had a veggie burger on a uh, on just regular bread because I yeah. didn't have a bun. Yeah, well, it was French bread. Was it oat toast though? That's no, the thing. Like it was. I, I toasted up some French bread, nice oh, with some cheddar cheese yeah, on there. That's different. Yeah, that's different. I'm so. sure this is um, riveting for the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, well, they don't have to listen. Fair. So. That's true. Whatever. That's true. They but they're kind of. Um, Implicitly supporting big milk. <laughs> that's, that's true. 
<laughs> and the Tim Howe red meat sandwich. <laughs> the Tim Howe original. Dude, <laughs> big milk is maybe the funniest big something. Yeah. <laughs> big milk. Uh, dude, hood. They're all part of the conglomerate. They, they could are. be a cartel. Who knows? They probably are a front. Yes. You know what else is white? What? Cocaine. That's that's true. So that's true. How would you even know if cocaine was in the milk jugs? You wouldn't. I it blends right in. It would be imperceptible that's to the right. human eye. That's right. Then you know what? I am now convinced that that's Hood's racket. Yes. Coke infused, and the thing is, they don't even have clear bottles. That's right. So who knows what's going on in there? It could be water. There could be like a slow dissolve packet of, of That's right. cocaine in the bottom That's that dissolves right. over time to disperse cocaine into every. That's color. right. That's why you're so addicted. Because who's going to look into the bottom of a hood? And the thing is, it dissolves completely by the time the milk's gone. That's right. <laughs> okay. That's some Alex Jones shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like a very serious accusation to be making. The Listen In Breitbart Podcast. <laughs> Satire Law. That's right. Uh, parody Law. Parody Law. My bad. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's dive in. You ready? Yeah. You ready? You ready? Okay. Three, two, one. 